0: Welcome to the Journey Church Houston podcast. The Journey is a church plant in Houston, Texas, inviting people on a journey to discover the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Christian story. Whether you are a skeptic, a spiritual seeker, or a committed follower of Jesus Christ, we pray this podcast engages your heart and your mind with the true claims of Christianity, why it is believable, and how it makes sense of our lives and the world. And we hope you're inspired to take your next step In your spiritual journey. In this episode, Stephen continues our series of lessons on the journey's core values. In this lesson, we discuss our relational value. We were made for relationships because we were made in the image of a relational God. Relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ are also one of God's greatest gifts to us. And relationships are essential for reaching the lost and unconnected in our age. So let's take a listen as Stephen teaches on the journey's relational value.
1: All right. Well, it's good to see everyone here today. Uh, Last week, Mace introduced the second core value of the journey in our series through our mission and values. He introduced the value of being thoughtful. We want to be a church that knows what we believe, why we believe it, and how it makes sense of our world. So, Mace challenged us to take up the task of being lifelong learners, and he gave us a couple of resources to get started. So, I wanted to look back on last week by asking a a question or two. Um, Has anyone checked out one of the resources, any of the resources that uh, we've brought up in our last few lessons? And uh, has anything that we've talked about, now that we're almost a month into our our series, uh, has anyone learned anything new? since being a part of the journey
2: mission team.
3: Learn some of the core values.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Core values. Which one like sticks out to you the most so far?
3: Uh, I mean, I really like the, the biblical podcast that uh, that makes it really yeah. good. Um you know, hearing the biblical story from beginning to end. Right? Mm.
2: Yeah.
3: Seeing the forest for the trees, so that you kind of know where everything plugs into.
2: Yeah. Yeah, the biblical story, the Christian story.
4: All of them. Yeah. Really, I mean, I feel like
3: it's kind of cheating. I already listened to one of the podcasts, and, but um, I just listening to it through the lens of how it fit into the thoughtful lesson of, hmm. um, you know, not just I don't know. The one that I'm referring to is the briefing and how yeah. he really looks at the events going on in the nation and in the world and really tries to help us think about it as Christians. And just thinking, like, if I were to talk to someone about one of these events going on, how would I talk with them about it as a Christian? You know, how would it be different, my perspective on these things than someone else? Um, so, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed getting to learn about the values. And, um the thoughtful value I think is one that um the question that just was standing out to me this week was why am I a Christian that question <clears throat> is just a really good question to ask why am I a Christian like if somebody were to say but why why Christianity over any other
1: world view and, yeah yeah, good to you. yeah I started listening to the briefing too I had never listened to it before it, it's been uh I, I was Listening to the one on Friday, and he even brought up how the discussion around automobiles and cars uh, is influenced by our worldview. And I was like, "Wow, I never thought of." I've had debates about whether we need more mass transit or lean into cars more. I mean, we've had those discussions with friends, but but never from the from a Christian worldview like that. Are our, our, the stories that we ascribe to actually affect um, where we where we land sometimes on these issues? Yeah. Well, we're going to introduce um, our next value today, the value of relational. And to introduce that, I want to ask another question. What is the best experience of community you ever had? What is the best experience
2: of community you ever had? What made it great community?
3: Just the friends that kind of rallied around and that prayed, and I knew were there, and they would check on me and see how things were going. And and one friend I remember, she told me she calls it Hannah's Rainbow. She saw a rainbow, and she says she's going to be okay for for Haven. So, you know, it's so, you know, just between Hannah and Haven, just that, that interaction, just knowing that they're praying for They're thinking about you and your
1: concerns. Yeah, this people gathered around you, circled around you during this trial. It's like the trial
2: brought out community. I
4: appreciate community the most when I'm in a trial or a tough time or stress or whatever that looks like. When I was in college, we had an Mm F four tornado tear through our campus, and it wow. Um, There were a few kids who were trapped for several hours. Um and we not like my little tribe, um, we were inside the bathroom, but we opened up the bathroom door we no living room wall anymore. Like it was just totally devastating. Um, but in the first
2: response responders brought like a hundred body bags Wow. Bodies,
4: and by the grace of God, I've seen that was died. Yeah. Um, but the community that rallied around us. That they provided housing for students, they provided gift cards, they provided counseling. Um, that was really neat. Really
3: yeah, I taught at a private school for two years, and when I first started, all the other faculty really welcomed me in. The parents were like, "We've got your back if our kids act up. Just let us know." Kids were like, "We're not going to act up." For me, it was, uh, I think, Bethany Baptist Church in Mobile, Kentucky. Mm. Uh, and I, while I was out there, just everybody seemed to genuinely care about mm. everybody. I mean, it really was like a family. It was a small church, but it really was like a family. Yeah. And I really felt like everyone really cared about it.
4: Wow. That's the first
3: Some of the ways that expressed itself. Um, I mean, there was sacrificial prayer. There was people inquiring about, you know, how, how are things going? Or if they, if they heard that someone was struggling with something, they were they were there. How's it going along? They were trying to find out how they could, could help emotionally. Or
2: yeah.
4: Some other way. I don't know, always being encouraging
3: and just, I don't know, generally wanting the best for each other, you know, trying to see everybody well, spiritually. Otherwise, there were a number of seminaries. For me, I, I, think, I think back to. Uh...
1: My senior year of college, uh, I had an apartment with uh, two, two roommates from, uh, or two uh, members of my church, and then one of my friends from ROTC, uh, and I just remember late night conversations about Jesus, about our lives, about just deep, meaningful things, um, and it was, I remember it was a really special time, and, and some of my best friends, from or, there's still some of my best friends. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good segue into our, our talk for the day. So uh, we're continuing our series, like I said, uh, on our mission and core values as a church plant. Can anyone remember our mission? May said it earlier, so it should be fresh on our minds. Or at least remember parts of our mission. Something about a journey. That's good. is
3: actually the part that I left out Bonus points. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah.
4: Okay, go for it.
1: Yeah, pretty much. To Invite people on a journey to discover the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Christian story. Can anyone tell me what our values are? Anyone remember what our values are? Don't look at your handout. <laughs> oops. What is it? I said oops. Oops, oh, okay. It's okay if you look at your handout, you can shout them out. That's right. Biblical, thoughtful, relational, and missional. Today, we're discussing relational. We want to be a church that is journeying together as the body of Christ, where we live, work, and play. So why the value of relational? Well, two weeks ago, we discussed the mission of the journey. We're inviting people on a journey to discover the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Christian story. And in that lesson, we discussed the secular story and how it fails to make sense of our world and how it fails to satisfy the deep longings of the human heart. The secular story is a story that says we are simply the product of pure chance, random pieces of matter that after millions of years of natural selection and random genetic mutation have become human life. The ethical outflow of that secular story is that if we are nothing but products of chance and matter then there's no one way that we should live and if there is no one way that we should live then we're free to do whatever seems good or feels good to us we're free to live chasing momentary pleasures when something feels good we do it if something makes us happy we buy it when something doesn't feel good we don't do it we don't invest in it and we don't buy it this ethic has resulted in what we can call consumerism. A study by Baylor University describes consumerism as an inordinate love of the consumption of goods and services. We desire instant gratification, we desire sensory overload, we desire fleeting comfort, and we are quick to flee from uncomfortable situations. And as a result, we have a culture that's built on the gratification of the self, and we miss out on one of the most fundamental human needs that necessarily entails values opposed to a consumer culture, community. Sadly, that consumerist culture has in many ways, and I don't think this is controversial, seeped into the culture of our church today. One study puts it this way, the church is tempted to adopt marketing strategies that transform the body of Christ into one more vendor of products and services. I think many of our churches today have felt the effect. They've been shaped to satisfy the fleeting desires of the individual for fear of those individuals shopping for another church. Brothers and sisters, it ought not to be this way. We live by a different story. The Christian story, as May shared with us a few weeks ago, This story changes how we see the church. We have a different vision of truth, goodness, and beauty. So what is true, good, and beautiful to the church? Well, we at The Journey look to the Christian story, which reveals what we think is a fundamental value that we want to recover and implement in all aspects of our church's life. Relationships, genuine, meaningful relationships. We're gonna explore three reasons while recovering and implementing the value of relational is essential to a healthy and growing church in a disenchanted age. First, we want to be a relational church because God designed us to be relational creatures. Second, we want to be a relational church because the church is God's gift to experience genuine and meaningful relationships. And third, we want to be a relational church because it is the best way to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ in a disenchanted generation. So let's start with our first point. We were created for relationships by our Creator.
2: Love. What is love?
1: Have you ever asked this question before? What is love? Everyone seems to know that love exists. Earlier this summer, I passed a sign in the airport that said in big, bold letters, love always wins. But what does that mean? Is that true? How do we know that love always wins? Love is a universally acknowledged reality in our world. Whether you're a Christian, an atheist, a devotee of a number of religions, we all agree that love exists. But no one agrees on what it is. The secular story says that love is an evolutionary byproduct. We love because it helps the human race survive. We're driven by sexual instincts to reproduce. And natural selection has revealed to us that we best protect our little ones through this thing called a family. And the greater our emotional affections for one another, the more likely we'll fight to keep each other alive. And there's strength in numbers. That's love according to the secular story. But this vision of love doesn't seem to correspond to reality. It seems a little shallow. If love's only purpose is to perpetuate our species, then it would seem that love is conditional. But we don't settle for conditional love. We're seemingly hardwired to desire unconditional love. Is there such a thing as unconditional love according to the secular story? I don't think so. I think the secular story tends towards selfishness. In the secular story, love cannot be selfless because all of human nature is built upon self-preservation. But our experience shows us that love is a transcendent reality. It is something that exists outside of natural laws. So what is love according to the Christian story? Let us take the values of biblical and thoughtful that we've practiced in previous weeks and look to the Bible for our answer. What does the Christian story tell us about love? Can someone read this verse from 1 John chapter four, verse eight, for me? And also, the verses in, uh, that we're reading from today are on our handouts, so if you want to look at those, uh, those are available to you. But can someone read 1 John chapter four, verse eight, for me? The one
4: who does not love.
1: Thank you. So, in this letter, the Apostle John is writing to describe who is a child of God. And one of his definitions he uses is the one who loves. Why does that tell us who is a child of God? Well, he tells us because God is love. If you have access to God, then you have access to love. Therefore, you will exhibit true love. But notice something with me. John doesn't just say that God is loving or he tends to love. Rather, he says God is love. According to the Christian story, God, who is ultimate reality, is love that means the foundation and sustainer of all that is is love paul gould puts it this way he says in theism love is at the heart of reality it's eternal and thus prior to nature love is more fundamental to our universe than we are think about that love is more fundamental to our universe than humans Without humans ever existing, there would still be love. And that's because God is love, and he was there before creation. Now, how do we account for a God who is love when there is only one God? The answer from the Christian story is, he is triune. He is the Trinity. Now, this is a great defense for the truth of the Christian story over other religions. God is loving because he himself is love. Love has existed among the three persons of the Trinity for all eternity. No other monotheistic religion can say that, because their God is not triune, not Islam, not Judaism, or any other monotheistic religion. It also explains why God might create the universe. Why make everything that is if you're an all-sufficient God who doesn't need anything or anyone? Well, you are love. Love is essential to who you are. Therefore, Paul Gold says, God created the universe out of love. We might ask why God created the universe. God didn't need anything, so why create? To spread his joy, delight, and love. Love is by nature diffusive. It wants to be shared, spread, enjoyed, gifted. So God creates a riotous diversity of creatures. God creates a universe full of persons capable of entering into loving relationships with others. Love is why we exist. In some, according to theism, love is prior to nature. It is at the heart of reality, and it is the reason we exist. On theism, love is not surprising. We were designed by love for love. We see this woven into the story of the Bible. In the beginning, it says Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, God created man in his own image. and the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Genesis 1, 26 through 27. We were made to be image bearers of God. We're meant to be images, representatives of who God is, revealing his character to the world so that he might be glorified. And as image bearers, just like God, we have relationships. We were designed to love. Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. It's not good for a man to be alone. Relationships are not just a happy accident. Relationships are not a byproduct of evolutionary processes. Relationships are essential to life's design. So the first reason... Relational is one of our values is we were created for relationship by our relational God. We as a church should lean into this value unique to the Christian story. And I think that's why Satan, the enemy, is so desperate to destroy healthy relationships in our culture. Remember, he is the antagonist of the the Christian story. He desires to usurp God's authority and ruin his creation. And one of the best ways to do that is to isolate us from each other And from God. When you cut us off from relationships, we are cut off from our purpose. And at the fall, the conflict of the Christian story, our relationships were marred, broken. Our relationship with God, our relationship with creation, and our relationships with each other. And we see all sorts of evil and brokenness ensue brokenness in the home, between husbands and wives, brokenness between parents and children, brokenness between Governments and citizens, brokenness everywhere. So when God set out on a plan to redeem humanity, he didn't just save our individual souls. He is in the process of working to restore all of his good design. And that includes relationships. And his plan in this part of the story to restore that good design for relationships is a community called the church. I love what my pastor uh, from Houston's First downtown always says. Pastor Leon always says, whenever someone asks, why hasn't God done anything to solve this problem? The truth is he already has. He built a church. So the second reason we want to be a relational church is that the church is God's gift for us to experience genuine and meaningful relationships. To understand the connection between relationships and the church a good place to start is looking at what exactly the church is so let's take a look at a passage about what the church is in ephesians 4 paul is writing to the church in ephesus Uh, the church in ephesus are gentiles or people who aren't jewish uh, who are new to the faith he's explaining to them what this thing called the church is that they're now a part of he describes the church as many things But one thing that he really leans into in several of his letters, but especially in Ephesians, is describing the church as a body. And not just any body, but the body of Jesus Christ, who is the head of that body. Paul describes how this body works, how all the members of this body are brought together to work together like a well-oiled machine to build itself up. Can someone read this passage from Ephesians 4, verses 4 and 11 through 16? It's on your handout if you need to see it better.
3: There is one body, one spirit, just as also you were called, and one hope of your calling. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself.
1: Right. Thanks, Randy. So I know this is a very packed passage, and there's a lot going on in it, but what do y'all notice about the church from this passage? What does this passage teach us
2: about the church?
3: Yes. There's one body, one spirit, but each part has an important role to fulfill yeah. For the benefit of the whole body, and it's all done. Uh, it's all built up in itself in love. Love is like the, uh, I guess, the underlying uh, medium through which all of these other gifts operate. The of the body.
1: Yeah, it's one body made up of many parts. Who are, what are the parts? I already said who.
3: Uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Um, yeah, those are the ones that are listed there. Um, those three. Were, I mean, obviously, there's, there's other parts, right?
2: Yeah. And the saints. I would argue. Right. And this isn't
1: just informed by this passage. Right. obviously. <laughs> obviously, Paul elsewhere talks about how we are each. Members of this body of Christ.
3: Yeah, I guess in the context, he's speaking of particularly the teaching ministry for the body of Christ.
1: For the body of
3: Christ. Which is why he focuses on
1: that. Yeah. And even there, we see something about the church is that um, those offices, right, the officers in the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, uh, that they exist for the equipping and building up of that body, right? Um, Anything else y'all notice?
2: Yeah. Yeah, we're knit together. It's like a very um, powerful way of illustrating uh, our relationship to one another. What are we
4: united by? Our faith. Our faith. And our knowledge of God. Yeah.
2: I think we could spend a a long time on that passage. Um,
1: You know, the church is many things, and yet it is most fundamentally one thing. It's a community, a body, united together into one spiritual family by the Holy Spirit through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We could easily jump into a class on ecclesiology or study of the church um, right here, but We'll get to that eventually someday, Uh, but but I want to focus today on three crucial aspects of the church as a relational community that comes from understanding the church as the body of Christ. These are connection, growth, and strength. So let's start with connection. How should we understand this idea of being part of the body? Well, when we're saved by Christ through faith in his death and resurrection, we are united to him and to each other by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is the head, and we, the saints in the church, the members, are the body. In other illustrations used by Paul, Christ is the cornerstone and we are the bricks of a temple. He is the groom, and we, corporately members of the church, are his bride. In other words, we are not saved in isolation. We're saved into a community that is spiritually connected to one another and to Christ. The doctrine, or in other words, belief, of the church of being the body of Christ is so significant because it reveals that we were never meant to live the Christian life alone. The Christian life is not about me and my personal relationship with Jesus. The Christian life is about being connected to his body. And as a result of being connected to his body, we are connected to the head of that body, which is Christ. God gave us a church to fulfill the most fundamental need we have as humans, connection with God and each other. If these things are true, then the truth is we experience genuine connection with God the most when we experience genuine connection with the body in the church but this body isn't just static and still. As Ephesians said above, the body is growing. That leads us to our second aspect of the church as a relational community, growth. God calls his church to grow. This is a process we call sanctification. Now that's a big, fancy theological word, but sanctification simply, simply means that after you believe in Jesus and you're saved, and he gives you eternal life, the Holy Spirit lives inside you, and he works in you to help you grow and become more like Jesus. But how does sanctification happen? It happens through the working of the body building itself up. Notice that in that passage in Ephesians 4, Paul doesn't say that this happens exclusively through the work of the pastors and the teachers. In fact, he says that the pastors and the teachers are there to equip the saints, the members of the body, each one of us, for the work of ministry so that the saints build up the body of Christ. This happens through relationships, but not just any relationships. Relationships with depth, accountability, commitment, and grace, a type of community that is severely lacking in our consumeristic culture today. The relationships of the church are built on more than convenience, comfort, and pleasure. We're called to more than affirmation and celebration. Dr. Nathan Holstein from Dallas Theological Seminary says in his section on the church in the Exploring Christian Theology series, Even though each individual bears responsibility for his or her growth in holiness, one's growth as an individual always occurs in the context of the body of Christ. We train and grow as part of the body. Our life as a Christian reflects on the body. So as a result, there's no place for superficiality in the church. We're invested in each other's growth, and growth requires more than surface-level relationships. It requires accountability and commitment to one another. And that leads us to our third aspect of the church as a relational community, which is strength, strength. In the Christian story, we exist between the climax of the story, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the resolution of that story, which is the coming of the kingdom. Our current reality is we still live in a fallen and sinful world, a world where there is much pain and suffering. We all experience heartache, loss, and grief, sometimes even at the hands of other Christians. But God's given us a gift during this momentary sojourn. And as many of y'all said at the beginning when I asked about your best experience of community, that can be the body of Christ. Or that is the body of Christ, rather.
2: We see this in the letter to the Hebrews.
1: Uh, The author of the letter to the Hebrews is instructing Jewish Christians this time. Ephesians was written to Gentile Christians. Uh, This is written to Jewish Christians that they would continue in their faith, that they would not turn back to their old ways in the face of suffering and persecution, likely from other Jews who have seen them come to Christ. And he tells them what is perhaps the most important way of ensuring that they stay faithful. He says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who, is promi- he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day drawing near is in the coming kingdom when he makes all things right and new in our world, the return of Jesus Christ. One of the body of Christ's primary functions is to gather together and encourage each other when times get hard. It may be a difficult season of your life, a tragedy, a loss, a heartbreak, or a despair. It may be persecution like the Hebrews experienced. But it is during those dark nights of the soul that the church shines the brightest. David Mathis uh, puts it beautifully in his book, Habits of Grace. He says, as you pass through the valley of the shadow of death, and the shepherd comforts you with his staff, you will discover that he has fashioned a people to act as his rod of rescue. When the desire to avail yourself of hearing his voice has dried up, and when your spiritual energy is gone to speak into his ear, God sends his body to bring you back. It is typically not the wanderer's own efforts that prompt his return to the fold, but his brothers, being to him a priceless means of God's grace, the invaluable
2: backstop. Okay,
1: connection, growth, strength, got it. But what does this actually look like in practice? How do we practically live out connection, growth, and strength in the life of our church? Well, Luke paints a picture of the life of the church, the earliest church, in the second chapter of the book of Acts, uh, verses 42 through 47. Right after the church is established at Pentecost, Luke describes to us, what the activities were of the earliest church. And I think this helps inform us a little bit of what we can do to have connection, growth, and strength in our, in our own local body. Can someone read this passage for me? It's in your handout as well.
3: They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, many wonders and signs and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions, sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord was
2: Thanks For reading, I think he up
4: and realized I Yeah,
1: he realized he missed the lesson. He wanted to hear it. Yeah, Hannah, thanks for reading. What do y'all notice about the rhythms of the early church? They ate a lot. They ate a lot. <laughs> Amen. All right, that's it. We can go home now. <laughs> Let's go eat.
2: <laughs> yeah, they shared what they had with others.
1: Can you say that again?
4: They did, life
1: they did life together.
4: Sorry, there's nothing to repeat.
1: Whoops, Siri you thought... I was talking to her.
2: Sorry, Siri. Sorry, Siri. Yeah, they did. They did life together. Every day. Yeah, every day, not just on Sundays. Man, is that far from what we typically experience in the church?
4: Yeah. They
3: were united in went with one mind in the temple.
1: Yeah, they were they were united. They had one mind. They went to the temple, which we don't go to the temple, right? But but they worshipped together. Uh, I think
4: because they kept feeling that sense of awe, they kept wanting
1: to. Yeah. Yeah, they were experiencing God working through that body, and then that made them want to repeat that process
2: and, and experience it over and over again.
4: What else?
2: I have a few things. Uh,
1: Some of y'all already said some of these. They devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles, which we have recorded in the Bible today, but they had the apostles there in person with them to, to speak to them and teach them. They broke bread together in each other's homes, not just at church on Sunday. They prayed together. They experienced awe from the wonders and signs of what God was doing through the apostles. They had all things in common with with those who also believed. They sold their property and possessions and shared them with anyone who had need. They took care of each other when they had need. They went and worshipped together. They praised God together. They had favor with people together. And the Lord added to their numbers. I think many of these are worth considering in our own context. Obviously, we're not the apostles. We're not the earliest church. This is a different time, a different chapter even in in the sense in the Christian story, but but worship, prayer, breaking bread, being a part of what God is doing in our church and community, caring for one another. I want to challenge you all to think about those values as it relates to our church. In our church rhythms, the value of relational will really come out in our community groups. We hope to introduce those to y'all in the future. But we want relational to be a value that, that seeps into everything we do in the church. When we think through the, what we do together, uh, the plans we make for this church plant, we want relational to be a crucial aspect of our church plant. Journeying together as the body of Christ, where we live, work, and play. So, so far we've covered that the value of relational in our church is important because one, God made us for relationships. Two, the church is the gift God has given us to experience deep and meaningful relationships. But we're going to shortly look at three, relationships as key to reaching a disenchanted generation with the gospel. I'm only going to give us a sneak peek into this aspect. Next week, Mace is going to lead us through a whole talk on our value of missional. But this week, I want to tie our unique strategy of evangelism into our value of relational. So in my lesson on the mission of the journey, we learned that we're called by the Great Commission, as told to us in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, that we're called to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But that there are unique obstacles in this current age, this current post-Christian, post-modern, disenchanted generation to accomplishing this task. I mentioned that the secular story results in a culture devoid of transcendence, that relativizes truth, goodness, and beauty, and that is full of despair. It also creates a culture that is largely uneducated about the basic truth claims of Christianity, leaving a large amount of misconceptions that need to be unraveled. What this means is that in our culture, we need to think critically about how evangelism might look different in this generation than in previous ones. David Geisler summarizes this in his book, Conversational Evangelism, that most of us have been taught that evangelism is proclaiming the good news and inviting others to trust Christ. Yet a valuable element is missing from that process. The missing element is simply that evangelism is a process. The Apostle Paul said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6. You and I may not be able in one conversation to share the entire gospel with our non-believing friends and then invite them to trust Christ, but we may be able to help them take a step closer to the cross with each encounter. So with that understanding, our church's mission is the answer to this post-Christian and post-modern dilemma. We want to invite our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, where we live, where we work, where we play on a journey. Or as David Geisler and Norm Geisler said, a process to discover the truth, the goodness, and the beauty of the Christian story. We believe this journey happens in the context of relationships. So Mace is going to talk with you more about that value of missional next week and how you can be a part of the spiritual journeys of those around you. So to review, we want to be a relational church because God designed us for relationships, because God gave us the church to enjoy deep and meaningful relationships through connection, growth, and strengthening, and because it is the best way to reach a disenchanted generation with the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Christian story. As we wrap up today, my homework for you is simple. Begin investing in the relationships with people in our church plant and with your friends, neighbors, and coworkers that you want to invite on a journey. How do you do that? Simple. Invite them to lunch or coffee. Invite someone from either the journey here, if you want to grab their phone number during our prayer time, or if you want to invite someone that you know doesn't know Jesus and you want to begin hearing their story and inviting them on a journey to know Jesus. Just invite them to coffee or lunch. You don't have to meet them by the next time we meet but at least reach out to them this week. I also want to recommend a resource to continue learning about our value of relational. I recommend this book, Caring for One Another by Edward T. Welch. It is super short. It's like 82 pages. It's not even 100 pages long. But if you're like me, you need something like this book. I have difficulty cultivating relationships of depth. Perhaps it's being raised on, on the smartphone. Perhaps it's being an introvert. Whatever the case is, Developing relationships just doesn't come naturally to me. But it's not just a talent, it's a skill that can be developed. If you need a book that will walk you through how to develop depthful, meaningful community in your church, this book will walk you step by step through that process. I also want to reiterate the value of theological study. Mace talked about our value of thoughtful last week, and he recommended some resources on theology. Diving into something like the Exploring Christian Theology series will help you get a better grasp on what the church is and why we do what we do. And as you study what the Bible teaches about the church, the value of relational will pop out to you. So once again, we want to be a relational church, journeying together where we live, where we work, and where we play. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for giving us time and space be able to gather together, to do this work of being a relational church, Lord, as you designed the church to be, to be the body of Christ, building each other up into the fullness of which is the head, Jesus Christ. God, I just ask that you would develop relationships, that this would be a a God-glorifying community, Lord, that we would love one another genuinely, depthfully, with commitment and accountability, and God, that as a result, we would, we would experience more of the signs and wonders of what you're doing in this church and in our community. God, we love you. We praise you. And we ask that you would bless this church plant. In your son Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Journey Church Houston podcast. For more resources and to connect with us, including to learn how you can be a part of the journey, visit thejourneyhouston.org.